RV furnace maintenance repair is the hot topic in staying on the road today. Enjoying the RV life segment today is going to be about five mistakes RVers need to avoid. And once again, we're going to go on a road trip. And this week, we're going to go visit Baja, California, to be specific, the coastline. And that's going to happen in the next stop. And then we're going to wrap up the show with RV Envy. And in this episode, we're going to talk about designer RV faucets with matching accessories. This is Eric Stark with the Smart RVer podcast, delivering the smarts you need to enjoy the freedom of the RV lifestyle without the fear of breaking down. Today's episode is 136, so let's get to it. So Alexis is again here with us in the studio, ready to... I don't know, make so many great points about the next stop and living or enjoying the RV life. Thanks. <laughs> she doesn't look too enthused, though. Come on, wake I am. up. I totally am, Eric. Wake up. I'm here. <laughs> All right. So now she's alive and with us. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, hey, I want to just share one thought with you people out there. That didn't sound right, you people. <laughs> people <Work>. of Earth. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So if you're looking at a new RV and it's got one of them really nice glass, black glass entrance doors on it, you know, they're really cool looking, think twice before you buy an RV with one of those. We just heard the other day that when the glass breaks, it can go upwards of $1,600 for a replacement. My goodness. So that's usually on a travel trailer. It's all black glass on the outside. looks real sharp. So watch it. That's a lot of money. And, you know, you can almost count on that glass breaking. Mm-hmm. You know, you slam the door too hard. Rock hits it. Something happens. I think I've brought this up before. So be aware. Yeah. You know, some more of that um, ingenuity that the designers of RVs are incorporating in RVs today to make them, I don't know, not so fun. Yeah, exactly. Let's ruin your. Let's try to ruin your vacation. That's the new motto of right. the engineers and designers. Make some money here, <laughs> right? Sadly, yeah. You know, on an episode a while back, I said something about you know just everybody should quit buying RVs for new RVs for a year. You know, and somebody said that that's not really right because so many people would be out of work. You know, the potential of that. I mean, it's not just the the manufacturer, the dealerships, and so forth. And, you know, there's some truth to that. But then again, how do you get the point across to manufacturers that they're producing garbage? I mean, Alexis, what do we hear in the store when people walk in and they bought a new RV? Are they happy? Nope. They've got endless amounts of problems. Endless. And and they're frustrated. They've spent all this money and they basically get no warranty or, you know, limited warranty Mm -hmm. because the dealerships really just don't want to do anything. And the dealerships are part of the problem here as well, but the manufacturer is both of them. Yep. I get the dealership, sometimes they're between a rock and a hard spot on that warranty, but if they can't warranty it, why are they selling it? Were you going to say something? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Bring it on. I'm just totally in agreement with you. <laughs> you know, yeah, people might lose some jobs, but how do we get the point across to the manufacturers what they're producing isn't right? They're taking people's hard-earned money and they're selling them garbage. Yeah. And, you know, I just hear more and more every day. And so if you're thinking of buying a new RV, be aware. Be careful on what you purchase and from whom. Ask a million questions. Yeah. Check out that RV, the one you're going to get from top to bottom before you ever put a dime down on it. Make sure everything works. 
go through it. Have an inspector come out if you can afford it. And, and if the dealership will let the inspector on the lot. Mm-hmm. So be cautious. I have many more things to say here, but I'm going to save some for the next couple episodes. So let's uh, get on with why we're here listening to the Smart RVer podcast. And believe me, it's all about having fun in an RV. It's not about all the problems. So even if you do have some difficulties, remember, the bigger picture is the RV. And I certainly promote that. We love hearing about it, you know, because customers that come to the store, they're using an RV. They're happy. Even with the problems, they're still happy. They're just frustrated with the manufacturer. We need to just stay on course here, look at the big picture, making memories in that RV about you and your family having fun. And sometimes there's a little bit of lemonade along the way, vinegar or something. Vinegar. All right. So now that's going to bring us to enjoying the RV life. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Change of mood. All right. So we can enjoy the RV life, though. Now, there are quite often things that are going to happen when you're buying an RV or owning an RV, and it's just like anything else, a house, a car, an airplane, a bicycle, mistakes are made, and that's just part of life. That's part of the process. So today, we're going to talk about five RVing mistakes to avoid. Yep. Now, remember, RVing is a great way to explore the world or the United States or, well, it's your world, whatever you make of it, right? So there's... Things that people make, mistakes that people make that sometimes just kind of keep going on and on and on. But that's probably too because some people have learned. Other people are just getting into the RVing lifestyle. So they got to learn the hard way, I guess. So if you're new, listen up. This will save you some headache. That's right. (laughs) So Alexis, what's number one mistake? So the biggest thing that someone can fall down on um, is unfortunately neglecting proper maintenance they're not keeping up on things i hear a lot about people coming in and they didn't winterize properly which is a huge thing around here at least you know it might not be in other places but things can get so damaged when you don't do that so it's uh there's more to it than winterizing but yeah just that that regular maintenance really needs to be kept up right (laughs) we see it quite a bit roof leaks problems on the exterior and it's all maintenance You have to take care of your RV, Mm -hmm. especially if it's outside. Inside, things don't happen as much. Mm -hmm. If you store it outside, you got to stay on top of that maintenance. Yep, you do. Okay, so number two on the list would be overloading the RV and really poor weight distribution. Excuse me, poor weight distribution. Yeah. You know, if it's a trailer, well, actually even a motorhome, but trailers are probably more susceptible to this, but, you know, not distributing the weight through it. Mm-hmm. properly you know having a whole bunch of weight on one side and nothing on the other yeah. can cause some safety issues it can understanding your rv's weight limits mm-hmm. you know a lot of rvs especially trailers are kind of maxed out when you buy them you know it might have a seven thousand pound um suspension on it or two thirty five hundred pound axles but the trailer might weigh almost 7,000 pounds when you buy it. Right. Now, that weight is distributed throughout the whole frame of the trailer. So it's not like 7,000 pounds is directly on the axles. Right. But you got to be careful how much weight you put on. Yes. Put in it um, or upgrade the suspension. You know, that's exactly what I did on, on my trailer. We upgraded it um, because it really was, wasn't built right. Right, yeah. You know? you so, And you knew it, yep. Right. 
And yeah, that's okay. normal, I think, anymore. These companies are cutting back every which way they can. But that's been an ongoing problem, too, for many manufacturers. Okay, so Alexis, number three on the list. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> or a bad one, it could be. <laughs> Inadequate route planning. So that means you didn't rely on your GPS or you didn't pre-plan it out so that now you're facing things like low clearance bridges, which we know that could go wrong really fast, narrow roads that aren't suitable for RVs. So you really, really got to think about that because you could run into a lot of issues. Right. You know, you can go down a road, go into a remote campground, get to the end of the road. It's the wrong road you're on and there's nowhere to turn around. Exactly. Yeah, in a big motorhome or a truck and a trailer and all of a sudden you're at the end, you go, how do I get out of here now? And how scary is that? <laughs> you know, backing up for miles can really be lame. Ah, uh, yeah. Especially in a trailer. <laughs> exactly. And also, you know, relying solely on a GPS could be problems too. Now, not that it's going to take you into lake like what we see on TV. Well, the GPS said to turn right here <laughs> and then go right into a lake, you know, like Dwight and Mike on uh, the office. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but... You know, it can take you into, uh, it just can steer you wrong, basically. So you do have to have an idea of where you're going and have an right. overview of the, the trip. Yes, please do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you can just plug it in GPS and you're fine. Other times you right. can't. Yeah. Yeah, just know where you're going. and uh, Right. Yeah. <laughs> they still sell maps today and you can still look at a bigger picture on, you know, the internet yeah. if you want to, ever how you want to do it. And now another one here is ignoring campground reservations. Oh, yeah. So um, that could be, you could take that several different ways, yeah. like not making them. Right, exactly. So, I mean, we just, we have some friends that recently made campground reservations online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when they got to the campground, the campground says, well, we don't really check that. And we booked your spot with someone else. Uh-huh. So they got a really lame spot instead. <laughs> and so that was a small campground. So there you go. They got reservations online, but yet they're not comparing what's on the internet with what their physical book is. So maybe just call. <laughs> yeah, right? I would call and check, double check, yes. make sure they got it. Um, you don't want to show up without reservations and not be able to stay any place. Right. You want to make sure they're there. It's just like a hotel. Sometimes they lose reservations. Yeah. Things aren't done right. Yeah. You know? And so many places are asking for reservations that weren't before. So you just, you got to check. You can't take that for granted. Right. Yep. All right. And then the fifth point, Alexis, is what? Uh, traveling too far, too fast. <laughs> so what does that <laughs> mean? Problem. Uh, if, well, when you rush, rushing around from one, you know, destination to the other. The, first of all, you're not enjoying yourself probably. And that's what we're talking about. Enjoying the RV life. Um, and then being realistic about what you and your RV can do, you know, driving distances like that. Maybe you're not getting enough rest. Maybe you're not doing the proper inspection on your RV. You could have a blowout. You could just not be identifying problems that are going on. So, you know, slow down. RV life is not about rushing around. It's really about taking your time and enjoying it. So there's more to it than that. <laughs> right. There's some good advice there. Take your time. Enjoy it. And like Lex has brought out a good point is, you know, if you're spending the night someplace, the next day you're traveling again, you got to make sure you check out your RV, you know, yeah. do visual walking around it. Yeah. That'd be super in depth because you're using it, but still check right. things out. Yes. Okay. So here is the bonus tip. This is the bonus tip yeah. of the century. Read it, Eric. 
Man, I can relate to this. Leaving <laughs> home unprepared. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like it'll take seven or eight hours to pack up the RV or the car, whatever, you know. But we're going down the road and forgot this, forgot that. Yeah. You know, some things you can do without. Some sure. things you find yourself in a store buying them. Yeah, extra money. And you got one more. Now you got eight of these things because you keep forgetting. Them, you know? <laughs> yep, exactly. So, you know, some things just leaving your RV. Some things just maybe have a kit. You know, certain things you take out of the RV, just have them in a, 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 a you know, a box of some kind where maybe you don't take the box, but you just take everything out. Right. Put it in the RV, then put yeah. it back when you get home, type of thing. There you go. That's what I'm doing more of now. Whether we're going off roading or in the trailer, having some things just kind of ready to go, just grab a Smart. box, type of thing. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's the billion dollar bonus tip. Being <laughs> home unprepared. All right, boy, that's just part of life. Going to the store, spending seventy or eighty dollars at the Conoco. Uh, that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now that's going to bring us to staying on the road. And this is the part that everybody's waiting for, how to maintain and repair their furnace. So the furnace repair, we're going to get into that, but first we're going to talk about cleaning it. But remember, this is a podcast, so I'm going to be explaining this stuff, so it's a little more difficult. You know, maybe someday I'll do a video, but for now we're doing the podcast. And... It's not as hard as many people think working on their furnace or at least diagnosing it or getting close to being able to fix it. You know, one of the important things is a furnace can fail the day before you're going on a trip. You start it up just to check it and it's not working. You know, and and you're going someplace where it needs to work or out on the trip, it fails. And you might not be able to get someone to fix it. Even if you were to take it out and take it into a shop, they might say, well, we can do it, but it's still going to be several days. So this can help you, uh, you know, avoid that problem, you know, if you're uh, against the timeline or just in general, if you want to just do the repair yourself. Now, first, let's talk about cleaning the furnace. You know, you have to make sure it's clean and, you know, it's not, so you, you know, there's part of it where, you know, the inside of the RV, there's generally a vent kind of covering where the furnace is at. And you want to make sure that area is clean of dust. If you have pets, make sure there's no fur building up. Sometimes pets with their shedding of their fur can really cause problems for furnaces. The blower wheels can get filled with fur. The the uh, sail switch can get a, a piece of fur in it and not work. So you have to really make sure it's clean. So you get in there and vacuum that out. And depending on the type of furnace you have, you might be able to take a cover off and do some vacuuming in there. You can go outside and put air, compressed air into the vent on the outside and blow out any debris that's built up in there. So that's kind of your basic cleaning of the furnace, interior, exterior. And the the outside exhaust, you do want to check before you ever put air in there. Look in there with a flashlight and see if there's anything building up like a, I can't think of the word now, but little nests for little critters, mud daubers, things like that. You know, they can get in there and over time they can build something up pretty quickly that can keep your furnace from working properly it has to have good airflow without proper airflow it's not going to work correctly and it's also a safety issue through too you want to want something in there that could catch fire or get the furnace to work improperly and you get a little more carbon dioxide coming in the rv than than you know it should be and you know that can create serious health problems if not death so you want to make sure your furnace is working 
properly. Remember, you're in a small place in the RV, so things can happen quickly as well. When it comes to repairing an RV, it's going to depend on, you know, what's wrong with the fur, excuse me, repairing a furnace. It's going to depend on what's wrong with it. You know, some furnaces, you can work on them while they're in the RV. Some of them, it might just be easier to take out and put it on a bench to work on it. And for some basic testing, you don't even have to have propane hooked up. You can just have 12 volts hooked up. You know, the gas valve will clunk and sound like it's opening. Then it'll start sparking. Then if you get to that point, you really want to put, hook up propane, then hook up propane. It's not too hard to do. You'll, you'll have to have a line made to do that. But if you're doing your own maintenance, it might be worth having a propane line to accommodate that. The RV and how it's made is going to dictate which method you use. Um, some are going to have to come out no matter what. And otherwise, you can do some of the repairs in the RV. It sometimes can be harder, or some of them are, some of the repairs can be pretty basic, like some of them are circuit boards. No point in taking out a, a furnace to check a circuit board. You get the point here. You're going to have to look at your furnace and determine what you have, how it was put in, and what you can do. And furnaces aren't that scary. Sometimes they look like it they because they're in the case, and they're sometimes awkward. But they're really not that hard to get in and out. So don't get a, don't be afraid of it. You know, it's like a, a car. Sometimes you open up the hood and it looks really scary until you take the air cleaner off and go, yeah, it's not so bad. Same thing. To understand how to diagnose a furnace, you have to understand the operation of it. Now, not all furnaces work identical, but you can take the operation and apply it to most of them and get you going in the right direction. And before I go on and forget, most furnaces, let's say you have a Suburban SF30F, you can find a manual for that. And if you need help getting a manual, after you try, you can let us know and we can probably get you a manual. We have access to a bunch. And so the manuals will have a lot of good information in there, how to diagnose it, you know, how the operation works. And by understanding that, it's going to help you to diagnose the problem. So that manual manual can be indispensable. And so I would recommend getting one now. And I've said this before, get it now before you need it so you have it. You know, put it on your phone or computer someplace or print it out, whatever you want to do, but make sure you have it. So anyway, back to the operation. So you go to your thermostat on the wall and you, know, you slide it or it's digital, you turn it on. And you set it to the desired setting. And after, you know, the blower motor should come on right away. Then after 15 to 30 seconds, you're going to hear it ignite. The blower comes on and then it should ignite. Well, what happens is when you turn the thermostat on, you know, the contacts close there. It's sending power out to the furnace. The blower motor starts. And depending on the furnace, when it gets to about 70% of its speed, the sale switch will move and close the contacts in there. And that's going to allow power to go through the sale switch down to the high limit switch. And then that's going to go to the circuit board. So if that circuit is good, then the circuit board gets its power. And then it should, if it's working properly, tell the gas valve to open. And at the same time, it starts sending a spark to the electrode. And voila, you have heat. What would a caveman say? Oh, you have heat. <laughs> so anyway, that's the basic operation of a furnace. And some furnaces have a relay in there, a time delay relay. Some don't. 
So depending on the furnace, there might be a relay in that mix as well, but it still diagnoses the same way. So you should have 12 volts going through the sales switch, the high limit switch, the relay to the circuit board. And if you have 12 volts all the way through there, then it's not any of those components. So I hope that makes sense so far following along with that, the operation and then those basic things. Now, if, if the limit switch only has 12 volts going to it, but nothing coming out and the fan spinning, and you can look in there and see that the limit switch has moved all the way to where, or excuse me, the sales switch, that the sales, you know, all the way back is closing the micro switch, but there's no power coming out, then the sales switch would be bad. Now, if there's power on both sides of the sales switch and it's going to the limit switch, but it only has power on one side, then the limit switch is bad. So it's all power, all voltage. So you do need to have a volt meter. While we're speaking of voltage, if your battery voltage is too low, your furnace won't work, period. So make sure your batteries are charged up or the RV's plugged in and you have, you know, 12 and a half volts at the batteries because it will, the circuit board detects low voltage and won't allow the furnace to run either. So you have to be aware of that. So there's, you know, and make sure your propane's on. Make sure you have propane. Some of the basic things. Sometimes we get in a rush and forget these little things. Now, if the, so those are the basic things that help the, or that, going to ignite the furnace you know that's real basic now if the furnace doesn't light so it goes through the cycle the fan comes on the furnace doesn't light it's going to finish its cycle then it's going to go into what is called a lockout mode and so the lockout mode now it won't do anything it won't try to relight or anything like that because there's you know all the components aren't there so when it does that you have to turn the thermostat off and that stops 12 volts from going to the furnace. Give it a few seconds. Then you can turn the thermostat on again, and it should try to light. So that's the basics of a lockout mode. So that might be frustrating because it stops working all of a sudden. Well, you just have to turn the thermostat off, you know, basically cut power to the furnace. If you're doing this on a, on a workbench, you might have the thermostat wires tied together. You can just turn the power off. Just disconnect the 12 volts. It'll do the same thing. And some furnaces even had an on-off switch or a reset switch on the front of them for when you're working on it. You can use that as well. So there's, you know, that's the basic operation and kind of the basic function. Now, one thing too is if you're a suspect of the circuit board, most RV places, you know, that do repairs and stuff will check it for you at no charge. And it's going to tell you if it's lighting or if it's igniting, you know, it's sparking basically, and if the gas valve opens. If both of those are working on the circuit board, the board could still be bad, but those two functions are working. And those are the two that fail the most, or at least at what we see here. Now, also, in testing the furnace, let's say you're, you go to your thermostat and you turn the thermostat to whatever temperature it is, 80 degrees, and nothing happens at the furnace nothing at all. Okay. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's the furnace. It could be. So what you have to do is diagnose whether it's the thermostat or the furnace. So diagnosing the thermostat is pretty easy. You get the two wires that go to it from the furnace. They're usually blue or it might be blue. Well, depending on the RV, how it's wired, but the therm the thermostat will probably be marked as well. But the two wires for the thermostat just get tied together 
And then if the blower comes on, the furnace starts working, then the thermostat is bad. Now, if nothing happens, then the thermostat is good. And now you're going to focus your attention on the, on the furnace. And you're going to be checking the, the blower motor to make sure it has power when the thermostat is on. If it has power going to it, but the blower motor still doesn't work, then more than likely the blower motor is bad. So it's pretty simple. But blower motors generally make noise and stuff before they fail. They, they give you a, a screaming warning, all sorts of racket. And so that gives you an indicator that you have a problem there. So it's important you understand that. Now, also, the circuit board is going to have a light on it that's going to blink and do different things. And that'll help you diagnose the problem in your circuit or in the furnace as well. It might be airflow. It might indicate the board is bad. And some furnaces have the, the uh, chart for what the lights mean right on the furnace. If not, it'll be in the manual if you get the manual. If not, you can go to Dinosaur Electronics website and they'll have it there. It doesn't matter what brand furnace it is. The lights all do the same thing or, you know, they have the same indication of how many times they flash or if it's solid flashes once. They mean different things. So that can help you as well. Assuming the blower comes on, then it's going to be somewhere after the blower, the sales switch, the high limit switch. And those are the easy things to check. So basically, if you really look at this correctly and you understand the operation, you should be able to diagnose it without buying a bunch of extra parts. You know, some people just throw parts at it. But one thing I do recommend, and this will come at a cost sometimes because sales switches are sometimes hard to replace because of where they're located. But if you have the furnace out, you should put a new sales switch in it regardless if it's good or bad. Just put a new one in because it might be good right there. You move the furnace around, something moves around that micro switch and the furnace might not work when you put it back in. How frustrating is that? So I, that's kind of a furnace repair in a nutshell. So like I said, get the manual, understand the operation of the furnace, and you will have this figured out. And you might be a hero when this thing stops working the day before you go on a trip and you can get it working and the family will love you. And then your trip, your plans aren't ruined or you don't have to go all this alternative stuff. A little bit of a rush to get it done maybe, but you got it done. And if you need help with the manual, let us know. I'm sure we can get one, but you know, check online first before you ask us. Cause I, I don't want 10,000 people coming to us tomorrow asking for manuals <laughs> and they are available all over the internet. That concludes staying on the road. And as a reminder, I want to bring up sun pro manufacturing, the slide out awning fabrics, slide on awning fabrics are, you know, they deteriorate. They need to re be replaced. I know we're kind of going into winter time here, but you know, a lot of people still travel in the wintertime. Sometimes getting that fabric on there is an extra layer of protection against the slide out. Even though it's closed, you still don't want stuff running in there. If your seals are getting a little on the fringe, maybe they're not as good a shape as they used to be. So having a new slide out awning fabric can definitely be a protection for the slide room and your RV in the wintertime. And for the people that travel in the wintertime, you got to have a good slide out fabric. It's got to work right. So if you need one, check out sunpromfg.com under slide out awning fabrics. We have several different flavors to choose from, all the sizes. If you don't see what you need, just give us a call or call SunPro 800-789-5588.
Now, let's go to the next stop. We're going to talk about Baja, California, more specifically the coastline. So, Alexis, what can you tell us about Baja, California, the <laughs> peninsula? The peninsula. Oh, peninsula. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, there's a lot to do there. Um, <clears throat> lots of campsites and RV parks, which got my attention because that's what we talk about. So that's really cool. So if you want to have an adventure, you can go down there. Um, there's a lot of marine life and whale watching, which I think is really cool. That that would interest me. So if you're a nature enthusiast, this place will not disappoint you. Um, oh, and the snorkeling and scuba diving. That's the other thing. I'm not yeah. super into scuba diving. I'll snorkel a little, but I don't like being, you know, underwater much. It doesn't appeal. Scuba diving is about staying alive underwater. I uh, know. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> Um, but there's a lot. There's <clears throat> a lot of towns in between places to eat. There's a lot of wineries down there. There's a lot of farm-to-table type of restaurants. Just beautiful places. I mean, you just Google it, and you're gonna you're gonna find somewhere really cool to eat. <laughs> yeah, the peninsula is, I think, is 1,200 miles or something. Oh yeah. So it's a big space. Yes. So obviously, you're not gonna do this in a day. No, no, no. Depending on where you live, you might just have several destinations. If you live in you know, California, Arizona, someplace closer. You obviously go down there and mm-hmm. work your way through it. But it's a gorgeous area, a lot to see. Mm-hmm. You know, even Tijuana, it's like the, it's a popular city, but yeah. it's a big city. It is big. But it's still interesting. Yeah. You know, there's Lots a lot of places to eat there. Yep. And sometimes, you know, we call them hole-in-the-wall places here in the States, but <laughs> there, a hole-in-the-wall place is really bad. Oh, okay. You know, but yeah. sometimes the food can be really good. <laughs> So it depends on how brave you are. Right, exactly. What are you willing to try? (laughs) You know, Mexico has always got the reputation of being so dangerous. Mm. And overall, it's a pretty safe country. Mm -hmm. It's probably changed some in the last couple of years. Got a little worse. But I have friends that live in Mexico. They don't have any problems. I used to go to Mm -hmm. Mexico quite a bit. Yeah. Problem-free, you know. Honestly. You just have to be alert. You know, don't look like a tourist. Don't act like a tourist. <laughs> That's I know your RV is going to give it away. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, one you thing I recommend, too, is just learning their currency and adapting to it right away. Yes, sir. Don't put it off. Nope. Easier. Because I'll tell you, every time you use American money, you're going to get something back that don't make sense to you. <laughs> but it makes sense to the, 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 the person at the store that gave you the change. Just use the pesos. Exactly. It. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to. We cover the next stop, even though it's a big peninsula, we went through it quick. So don't you see, we traveled fast. We just talked about traveling too fast. Exactly. And we just blew through Mexico. <laughs> oh, well. All right, now let's talk about RV designer faucets and the matching accessories. So this isn't really a a complex situ- or a conversation here. You know, a lot of the faucets today, like from Dura Faucet, Dura Faucet's our favorite brand right now. We got a store chock full of Dura Faucet. In fact, we got rid of the other brand, which is Phoenix or one of the other brands. And that all we're carrying is Dura Faucet. All of their faucets just have a really nice look to them. You can still get the basic chrome ones, which is fine. You know, if that's what your RV is and it works, you know, you don't have to have one of these designer type faucets and the oil rub brass and the fancy handles, but they're nice looking. And in a lot of cases, they're not that much more than your basic faucet. 
But the other thing is you can get matching accessories like the shower faucet or the, well, yeah, you could have all your faucets matching, let's say oil rubbed bronze, but you can get a shower head and a shower hose in the same finish. Well, looks really nice in the bathroom. It kind of completes it. And, you know, in some cases you um, might have to go to, let's say, a, a, a box store or whatever, but find a towel bar. Um, things like that, other accessories that will match the faucets, just like you would do in your house. And a lot of times the towel bars and things that you would put in your home will work fine in an RV. And that's why I bring that up. So you can have everything matching. Like I said, it's not imperative that you do that. It's just, if you're going to put a faucet in and then down the road, you have to replace the shower head, make it all match. You know, I'm not saying to throw it all away and buy new stuff, but just change it as you go and and it's going to look a little nicer and remember this is your home away from home so when you're out rving you know it's nice that everything matches looks good makes it a little more comfortable you know makes that home away from home more cozy you know everything's there you like being there because it's rving is about wanting to be in the rv well or being outside but either way you know you get the gist so if you can make everything match and Dura faucet, as I said, is a great brand to, to look into all their faucets are very nice and they come in a lot of the new RVs, which, you know, I don't know if that's good anymore or not, <laughs> but Dura faucet, well, we don't really have any problems with them. We sell a lot of them. So they're a good brand. So, you know, we definitely endorse that brand. If you know, your store is carried, if not go with whatever they have, there's only three or four brands that are mainstream in the rv industry that you can buy aftermarket all sorts of junk comes on them but what store sell there's only a few all right now for our final call to action here go to youtube and check out the smart rver channel and like and subscribe the videos watch some videos like it you know hit the like button if button if you like it subscribe you know, we appreciate that very much. It builds us up in the YouTube system so more and more of our videos get viewed by other RVers. Now, that's bringing us to the end of our episode today of 136. So next week, in ep- or in two weeks from now, episode 137, we're going to be talking about roof vents and escape hatches and high-velocity fans. We're going to kind of sort through some of the myths and misunderstandings on this so you can be more informed and well prepared when you go to an RV store to replace one of those products or a, a part of it. So I want to thank you all for listening today. This is Eric Stark with the Smart RVer podcast. It's been great hanging out with you. If I don't see you on the road, let's connect at the smartrver.com.